Ah, there you are. Thank you for coming, my friends. Thank you for joining me. It was a cold day here in my forest, but a bright and sunny one nonetheless. And so the cold isn't quite so terrible. Not even now that the sun has set and the darkness has come. The memory of the sunlight and the way the sky is so very clear now. And I can see the moon, halfway to being full, hanging in the sky. Not full just yet. Good. I'm not quite ready. I still have work to do. Growing to get done. It's strange. Before you came here tonight, it was a little bit of a dark time. Literally, I mean. I found myself in a dark pit, or some kind of prison of shadow, for perhaps the third time now, maybe even more than that. I don't know why. I went to tell a story, and instead, I found myself surrounded by all darkness. So I almost spoke about that. But then I realized... I can't keep putting myself in time out. I can't keep throwing my arms up and saying, it's out of my hands. I'm locked away in a shadow world. Don't ask me for help or guidance. Because I'm the one doing it to myself. Over and over and over. And so I have the power to get out of it. It is an excuse for me to stay still. Not only still, but rather ungrateful. Blind to everything around me that is so lovely and that I love so well. So I ripped a little tear in the fabric before my eyes. Just a tiny one. And I saw the forest behind the darkness. And I returned. I came home quickly and gladly. Then I asked my tarot cards, how can I move faster? Because that's what I want to do, isn't it? If I can't hide away in shadow forever, then I want to move fast, so fast that no one can catch me, and that I can simply snatch everything that I want from fate's hands, because I am too, too fast. How can I move faster? It was a silly question, but the only question I had. I drew in response, after shuffling fast and furious. The Eight of Swords. This is the third time I've drawn this card. This card is restriction, imprisonment, indecision. Being held back, being stuck, being caught, being trapped. Isolated. Indeed, I thought to imprison myself again, didn't I? Just as I said. This card asks us to observe our negative cycles, and the ways in which we hold ourselves prisoner. Prisoner. 
We are keeping ourselves willfully ignorant to the way we can be free and move forward, move faster. It asks us to find the strength within ourselves to leave a situation we are not happy with. And though indecision may at times keep us staying still, it shouldn't, because there is no right or wrong way forward. There is only our way forward. I dwell too often on what I ought to do, what I'm meant to do, rather than simply doing. I've spoken of this before, and recently too. But also, I like to lock myself up in these dark spaces. I find myself repeating that cycle over and over and over because it's an easy way to hide in plain sight. From you. From my own characters. From the real world, whatever that is. And most obviously, from myself. Not tonight. Tonight is far too beautiful for that. I think I'm going to try and be done with that cycle. That's what I think. I have a story for you, dear friends. It is about a beast, a creature. Hungry, full of anger and energy, a seething, burning kind of energy that told its legs to run, its arms to grasp, and its jaws to snap. It woke up like that one night. Not on a night like this, mind you, but on a very different night. A night long ago, when the moon was full, and so close to the earth that its light was almost too bright against the snow. As I said, the beast woke up hungry and angry and ready to run and grab and eat. Anything. Everything. It didn't matter. Its yellow eyes opened. Round and bright, almost like the moon they were. It growled deep in its throat as it felt that familiar ache deep in its belly. Its mouth, huge and full of wolf-like fangs, was so very dry. The taste it found there was terrible, bitter, sweet, sour, Overwhelming in its layers, like man-food, complicated and decadent. It did not like it. It wanted blood. It wanted flesh. It wanted bone. At the end of its long, strong snout, a nose, shining black and moist, twitched as it smelled the night. It could tell so much from that smell. Leaves, 
decaying plants, sleeping plants deep under the snow. Under that cold, wet earth, waiting, resting. And under that, rabbits, fat and juicy, with their little families burrowing. He could hear their little heartbeats. It drove him mad, so loud they were. He wanted to stop that beating, but it was so numerous, pounding against his ears, the smell of them so tantalizing, so distressing. But then he was distracted by something else. Birds. Pigeons. Warbling. Clumsy, slow from the cold and from so long seeking shelter in the snow. They clung to stone walls not far from him, finding little spots to nest. Their hearts, too, pounded. Their song was clamorous and awful, and they smelled so delicious. They smelled warm, and here our creature was cold, desperate for quiet, and so very, very ravenous. He reached his arms out before him, and when he saw the sight of his front paws, he grimaced and growled too, for they seemed so unusual to him. Five long, clawed fingers on each a thumb that was a little too long and a little too close to his other fingers. He detested the sight of these things, and he did not quite know why. His paws were horribly mutated, though covered in gray fur. That was a comfort, at least. He felt the snow with them, and it was wet and frigid against his paw pads. Lying on the ground, he arched his spine backwards and threw his snout back, his throat long and twisting as he let out a long howl. A howl as if to say, Who is out there? Is there anyone like me who will help me? Where are you? Where is my kin? Where am I? And in the distance, numerous howls echoed, far away all around him. We would not be able to, but he understood them. Stay, Stay away, away from, from, us, from us, they cried. For you are, you are not, are like, not us. like us. We are no we kin, are of, kin yours. of yours. We will stay Stay away from you too. For you are larger and more fearsome than we. We will keep away from your hunting ground. Please keep away from ours. He snarled at the rejection. He howled back, and his howl warned them. If I ever see you out there, you will pay for this cruelty. I will repay your hatred in kind. Beware of me. They did not howl back again. He raised himself up onto his feet 
and whimpered as he found it difficult to balance himself on his rear paws. He wanted to stand on the soles of his feet, for his heels were long and weak, and for some reason that surprised him. His legs felt as though they were not quite meant to be walked on in this way. His body was so massive and strong that his strange, sinewy legs had difficulty keeping him upright. And on his toes he saw black claws there, too, but the gray fur did not hide just how grotesque his feet were. They did not look quite right. They looked quite wrong. He lumbered a few feet, wavering here and there, his head aching fiercely. Why? He didn't know. He was not injured. He hadn't endured a battle or a scrape of any kind. He was whole. But he did not remember anything before this night. Poor lost creature. Poor lost soul. He raised his head to the breeze, trying to catch wind of whatever was around him. He smelled the rabbits, the pigeons, the wolves in the hills, but nothing like him. But then he smelled something altogether different, altogether worse. Human. Man. Fire. Cooked. Meat. His eyes widened in horror. There was a man here. A man with fire. And then his eyes narrowed again, as his lips drew back into a comforting snarl. I will not be food, he thought to himself. You will be food, human. He looked around with those intense and immense yellow eyes, and in the light of the moon and with his keen vision, everything was clear as day to him. He was in the middle of some forest, of some kind, a strange forest, with a stone fortress at his back, and cobblestone pathways ahead of him. He did not know that that was what it was, of course, but he knew it had been put there not by the earth. Something had put all of this stone here. Probably whatever made the smell of that fire that had been extinguished maybe hours ago, but still stung his nose and his eyes awfully. Though the trees were thick, he could see how he could run through them. If he weaved his way carefully, he could move quicker than a deer quicker than a horse. He could sail through those trees and just run and run and run until... Until what? What lay before him? He had no pack. He had no home. He had only prey. And if that was the case, let it be that human prey. He focused on the smell of the human man, the smell of meat and gunpowder, and he could almost see his scent on the wind, red and winding, slow-moving. 
Let me follow that, then, the creature thought to himself. Let me follow that. Let me destroy him. Then when I am finished, I will decide what to do next. Only after that. And so off he ran. At first he tried to do it on his two hind legs, but with the way he wobbled and wavered, he knew he could not move quickly like that. So he fell to all fours and found he could move much more quickly, if not still awkwardly. But the stone road scraped against his tender paw pads, and he winced. No, the snow would be better. He leapt into the snow and it felt so good against his scraped skin. He began to run. What is it like being a terrible monster running in a forest at night in the dead of winter? I can tell you from experience it is exquisite. Your anger, your sorrow, your hunger, your pain, it all blows off you as though it were sand covering you up. And the cold wind can just whoosh, get rid of it. The faster you run, the more you release. If you open your mouth and scream as you run, oh, it is marvelous. He followed the scent, but he could not find the man for hours and hours. But single-minded and full of a vicious kind of vengeance, vengeance for who knows what, the smell, that horrible carnivorous smell, maybe because it reminded him of how badly he wanted to tear into flesh himself, or maybe because the idea of desecrating fresh meat with fire was sacrilege to him. But how can one be sacrilegious if one has no religion, no kin, nothing? It didn't matter. All he knew was that he had to find that human. He had to destroy him, and in truth, the act of the hunt might have been joy enough, it seemed. For in the hunt, he had purpose, and in purpose he had religion of his own kind anyway. If we were to watch him from above, we would see a beast, huge as three men, running, leaping on four very long legs. A creature like a wolf, only much larger. Its roar much deeper. A wolf with fingers and toes that grabbed the way a human grabs. That was the most despicable part. But its long snout would appear fierce and yet almost noble in the way all wolves seem noble too. The gray of his pelt was almost silver in the moonlight we would see him stopping here and there to smell the wind once more, and then change course ever so slightly. But something else we might notice would be that there was no human. 
nowhere close by. Not at all. But the werewolf tracked him, devoted to his cause. He ran and ran and ran until there it was. A gate. A wooden gate, nestled in what appeared to be a bush, green and growing even in the winter. The creature growled and clawed at it, but it was too sturdy. It was bolted shut, locked with a padlock, too. No, his mind roared in his own language. The werewolf ran at the shrubs around this gate and began to tear at them. He would peel his way through the greenery. But he peeled off layers and layers of leaves, and he realized it was not a bush, but rather ivy. Vines climbing up and around a stone wall. He could not see the top of it. He tried to climb it, but wolves do not climb. Their paws are not made for it. He howled and whimpered in pain. He ran around the edge of the wall, thinking he would find an exit somewhere, anywhere. But he did not. He was trapped, imprisoned in something altogether man-made and therefore, in his mind, terrible. Then suddenly, he saw something, something orange, creeping over the wall, just a little orange in the otherwise dark night. The sun was coming but the moon was still shining overhead. It was going away, slowly, but it was there still, competing with the sunrise. And it was then that he heard it. A voice, coming towards him. A human voice. Not by day, not by day. The beast thought to himself, for he was afraid of hunting, of battling in the sun. He knew not why. Maybe it was because the brighter the sun grew, the worse his vision became. He was not made for daytime, our poor beast, our poor, lost beast. Orange overtook his gaze and he crouched to the ground, whimpering, snarling, lifting an arm to shield his eyes. But he saw a figure that accompanied that voice. There he was, the man, the human, standing at the gate, which was now wide open. He stood, but he had no weapon. He had no fire. His silhouette was red against the sunrise. Or maybe he seemed red because that was all the werewolf could see of him. Just blood. Just meat only. But he was not afraid. 
he walked towards the creature. There, there. It's all right, the man said softly. The creature snarled and cried and whimpered and roared. You made it. You did it. The creature began to retreat backwards, making himself as small as he could, retreating backwards towards the building he had began the evening at. The building. The house. Whatever it was, it was made of stone, and he had hated it then and he hated it even more now that it was keeping him trapped here. Breathe. Breathe. It's all right. There, there, you big brute. The man's voice was so gentle and soft. And the closer he came to the beast, the beast could tell that the man himself was gentle and soft, too. Nothing like he imagined. He had expected a hunter, a creature very much his equal in cruelty and avarice. But no. The man came toward the beast unafraid and knelt beside him. He stroked his coarse gray fur. He scratched his big pink ears. And he whispered, It's your turn to go to sleep now. You did so well. Go to sleep now. Go to sleep now. The monster did not want to. The monster wanted to eat and to hunt. But it hadn't been successful all night, and now he was weak, and the sun hurt his eyes, and the man's caresses and cajoles made him feel that perhaps, just perhaps, maybe, maybe he could sleep after all. The man fell across the beast, helping him keep warm, and his weight was comforting. Together, the man and the beast breathed in, out, in, out, and closed their eyes and fell asleep. And when he awoke, the man was himself again. Though his clothes were torn and though his head ached, he knew he had successfully endured his first transformation. The full moon had come and gone. The walls held good. The gate remained locked. And his soul, his self, his true self that was beyond hunger and vengeance and pain and sorrow and anger, his deep self that accepted his hunger and vengeance and pain and sorrow and anger and therefore did quite an extraordinary job of letting it go, of keeping it in check, of not defining him. This deep and true self had stood guard in the dark winter night, waiting for morning. Though cursed to be werewolves, his father before him and his father's father and his father's father's father, 
all of the men in their line with the terrible curse had long ago practiced and mastered the art of accepting their inner beasts. This confined wilderness was where they could simply be without judgment or correction, without hurting another person. And they had learned how to let their truest soul keep watch, like a sentry at the gate, until morning came, when man and beast could unite and the wolf could sleep for another month. It is a frightful thing to be a werewolf. It is frightful to feel things like anger, rage, sorrow, hunger, and vengeance, and to feel them become the whole of what you are. But it happens. I asked the gentle, cursed man about his experience once. I came across the huge, ivy-covered stone wall in a forest one day, and I saw a man walking around it, humming to himself, peaceful and calm, for the full moon was weeks away. Yet I could smell the wolf on him. I have that skill. I asked him, How do you control it? How do you control the beast that lurks within? He took a moment to think about it and simply answered, You observe it. I see. You observe it. You stand guard until the sun rises, when you can see clearly once more. I think I see. I asked my cards how I can move faster. That is a hunger of its own. A hunger I spoke of last week. A hunger I talk about all the time. Hunger for more, more, more. Always. While still longing for silence and solitude above all. It's a dreadful contradiction within me, but I observe it. I allow myself to feel all of it. Every single bit of it. And I'm trying not to judge myself for it either. Invariably, the sun rises, and if I stood watch strongly enough, then the hungry beast subsides, goes to sleep, and the day isn't quite so dreadful after all. I hope you enjoyed my story of this lonesome werewolf who met his human counterpart. We should all be so lucky. Don't you think? We should all be so clever, so calm, so kind. Good night, my dear friends. Kiss your inner beasts good night, too. They need it the most. 
dream sweetly. Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 181 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is your host, writer, performer, podcaster, werewolf, composer, team of one, Kristen Zaza. How are you? How has February been for you? I think I'm getting back on track a little, maybe, though it does seem time is moving so very quickly. But I'm also trying to shake off the feeling that I'm always behind. Is that just what being an adult feels like? That you're always three steps behind where you think you should be? Anyway, let's try to get over that. If nothing else, then at least just for tonight, maybe. Sending a warm thank you to each and every patron who donates monthly to the show on Patreon.com. Thank you so much for your kind support, my dear friends. Through Patreon, every supporter of On a Dark Cold Night who pledges $1 or more a month gets access to my full soundtrack of the podcast. And every supporter who pledges $5 or more a month gets that, as well as a monthly tarot reading video I record for every full moon. To learn more, visit my Patreon page at patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash darkcoldnight. If you'd prefer to donate one time and without those perks, Head on over to my coffee page where you can support by donating however many metaphorical coffees to the show. Learn more at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And finally, we have t-shirts and hoodies for purchase at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. I would also really appreciate it if you left a rating and a review for the show through iTunes or wherever else you like to rate and review podcasts. And you can also follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, or on my Facebook or YouTube pages just called On A Dark Cold Night. Also, I'm on TikTok now at Kristen Zaza, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-Z-A-Z-A. Thank you so much for listening and being here. Wishing you all the best as we start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, as winter is slowly loosening its grip on us. Lots of love and warmth to you as it does. Good night, my friends. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.